Sometimes our perspective can use a little adjustment. While vacationing with family in Alberta a couple of weeks ago, I went golfing with my son Keith and son-in-law Tramp, a local golf course in Barhead. Truth be told, none of us are great golfers as we probably play the game about once every couple of years. In the nine holes played, I only came out best in one hole out of the nine, but at least I didn't make divots that were too deep. Trant came at it from a different angle. He was happy because he thought that was the first game ever in which he didn't lose a single golf ball. Unfortunately, I couldn't say the same, but I think I found as many as I lost. Appreciating life has a lot to do with perspective. Three senior citizens were golfing together, and two of them griped endlessly. One said, the fairways are too long. The other whined, the hills are too high. Again, the first one moaned, the bunkers are too deep. Finally, the third player piped up and countered, at least we're on the right side of the grass. As we continue our study of the life of Jacob, we find his perspective changing remarkably as the decades go on. Life Application Bible sums up Jacob's life in four stages. First, he grabbed older brother Esau's heel when the twins were born. Later, he also grabbed Esau's birthright as the firstborn, then also the blessing that their father Isaac intended to bestow upon Esau. In the second stage, Jacob the grabber finds himself manipulated and deceived by his uncle Laban. Third, as we'll see today, Jacob grabs on to God and won't let go. Fourth, Jacob finds out what it is to be grabbed. God achieves a firm hold on him such that near the end of his life he's unwilling to go to Egypt unless he's absolutely sure it's what God wants. In Genesis chapter 32, there are four sections in the development of events as Jacob has left Laban and is preparing to meet his brother Esau. Panic, prayer, persistence, and perception. The struggle and wrestling, we can learn with Jacob to develop perseverance and a new appreciation for God's involvement in our life. We begin with panic. At the start of chapter 32, Jacob has just escaped from a tense encounter with Uncle Laban after fleeing with Uncle Laban's two daughters, 12 grandsons, and all Jacob's flocks and herds without giving notice or saying goodbye. Hmm, I know how I'd like that if I were the grandfather in that case. Laban's not happy with Jacob's decision to return to Canaan, but the two manage to part peacefully with a sworn truce. But it's out of the frying pan into the fire. In verses 4 to 6, when Jacob sends advance notice to brother Esau down in the south at Seir that he's returning, this is what the response is. Genesis 32, 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said... We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. 400 men? That's a good sizable fighting force. Recall that when Jacob fled from home 20 years earlier, Esau was muttering threats about killing his brother after their father had died, 2741. Their mother describes Esau's mood as fury, 2744. And now he's coming to meet Jacob and his wives and children with 400 warriors? This does not look good. Jacob divides the company in a last-ditch effort to spare some, Genesis 32, 7 and 8. 
In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. To some degree, this is still relying on human planning rather than God's protection. He's very rattled. Verse 7 calls it great fear and distress. Well, while Jacob is panicked, the Lord has provided to him a very unique and special sign which should reassure him. Look back to 32, 1 and 2. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim, two camps. Jacob had dreamed about angels ascending and descending on stairs at Bethel when he was fleeing from Esau decades before, 2812. To meet angels on the way must have been so encouraging. Jacob is beginning to see beyond just this world to the spirit world overlapping ours, becoming gifted with a prophet's vision. Heaven's inbreaking in the midst of our fearful circumstances. Next section, prayer. Jacob may be scared to the max about meeting his potentially vengeful brother, but 32, 9 to 12 contains a prayer which warrants close attention. It shows an amazing degree of maturing has occurred in grabby Jacob's life. Let's look at it closely. It may even be a model for us today. If you want a four-letter code to help remember it, there's warp. I know it's not that catchy word. Maybe think about Warp speed, jumping into hyperspace, even with eternity with God or something. A warp. Uh, who, abasement, request, and promise. The W in warp stands for who. Jacob addresses his prayer to God this way in verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Three times he's calling on God's name, twice referring to the connection his grandfather and father had with the Lord, but then it starts to get more personal. Lord, caps, stands for Yahweh, God's personal name of being, I am that I am. The progression may point to the growth of Jacob's faith. God is no longer just the God of his ancestors, but Jacob is starting to acknowledge God as his own Lord, too. When we begin our prayers, do we pause and reflect on the name we use to address our prayer and what it reflects about God's majesty and mystery? Jesus began the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pause and reflect on the greatness of the one you're talking to, his gracious history with you and his church in the past. Warp, W-A, A stands for abasement. Jacob no longer thinks overly highly of himself after having been deceived and outcheated repeatedly by devious Uncle Laban. He approaches God with humility. 32.10 says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. God has been kind and faithful to him, multiplying his numbers into so many children and animals. Jacob declares, I am unworthy. I had only my staff went across this Jordan. Barely the clothes on his back, and, and now look at him. He feels humble, unworthy, having no right to have been so blessed. 
Likewise, in the Lord's Prayer, we abase ourselves when we ask forgiveness for our faults. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How does James in the New Testament describe what our attitude should be when we come to God in prayer? James 4, 7 to 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Sounds like abasing ourselves, like Jacob did. W-A-R, R is for request. In verse 11, we find what Jacob's asking for, Genesis 32, 11. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, from afraid he'll come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. Note how frank and honest he is. We've seen his acknowledgement of and reverence for God in the who, his humility in the abasement. Here we see real honesty and vulnerability, being point blank about his needs. And then the next phrase, we'll see he's trusting God's promises. Comparing with the Lord's Prayer, there's give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In short, help. Or in Jacob's words, save me, I pray, for I am afraid. When you come to God in prayer, don't beat around the bush. Be honest. There's no hiding on God, no no point in holding back. He is omniscient, all-knowing, Matthew 6, 8. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Present your request boldly. Ask. As Jesus urged us in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. W-A-R-P. The P stands for promises, which we plead as warrant or rationale, the basis upon which we make the request, what God said to us in the past that would apply to our present situation. Genesis 32, 12. But, sorry, back here. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. But you have said. Jacob goes back to the promise God made to him when he set up a stone for a pillow, fleeing the country. It's like Nehemiah asking God to gather the scattered nation back from exile, as God instructed through Moses, Nehemiah 1.8. Or Daniel pleading with God based on Jeremiah's prophecy about 70 years being their time in exile, Daniel 9.2. The Bible's a, a book full of promises for God's people. Mine it for those that apply to us today, for God's nature and character and love for his children don't change. So that's Jacob's prayer from the layout of which we can learn much. Warp. Who? Abasement. Request. Promise. Can you say that with me? Who, abasement, request, and promise. Third, persistence. In the next section, we find Jacob chose persistence. Too often when struggle comes, we give up too early rather than hanging in there and toughing it out. We need to hold on and develop persistence. 
You want some advice from the great one? Now, I'm not talking theology, but hockey, the great one being Wayne Gretzky. Canada's hockey hero reports the comment of an early coach who was frustrated with Gretzky's lack of scoring. Coach told him, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. In other words, keep taking those shots. And that helped Wayne Gretzky on the path to greatness in his chosen sport. He persisted. The night before meeting Esau, Jacob sent all his possessions and wives and children across the ford of the Jabbok River. He was left all alone there, wrestling with his great fear and distress, all his panic. But suddenly he wasn't alone. Genesis 32, 24 to 28. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome First off, who was this mysterious man? Apparently God in some form, but was it Jesus or an angel? Hosea 12, 3 and 4 says, In the womb, referring to Jacob, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. Likewise, when Joshua is about to attack Jericho, he has an encounter with a man bearing a sword who claims to be commander of the Lord's army, Joshua 5.13. So it seems to be an angel Jacob's tussling with, representing God, speaking on God's behalf. One wonders if the angel could have overpowered Jacob if he'd really wanted to. After all, the angel dislocated or wrenched Jacob's hip with a single touch. But remarkably, Jacob held on all night long. We can imagine him sweating and panting and uttering with gritted teeth as dawn is breaking, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's an example, a reminder to us not to give up too quickly against daunting odds. Jesus told the story commending a persistent widow who kept on pounding on the door of an ungodly judge until he finally relented and found out what she wanted, Luke 18. The Apostle Paul reminded the early church in several places to be persistent. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. It's challenging to be patient when you're afflicted. Life hurts. Others oppose you. Ephesians 6, 18. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray Continually. We give up too soon. Jacob wrestled all night till daybreak. By persistence, he overcame. The Lord acknowledged Jacob as his servant by changing his name. He said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. The Bible promises that those who persist in faith in Jesus can become overcomers too. In the New Testament, 1 John 2, 28. Now, dear children, continue in him. Keep holding on. Don't give up. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Continue in him. 
Be persistent. Don't give up too soon. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jacob had a struggle but became an overcomer. Through relying on God, you can overcome in the face of your struggles too, even when that overcoming means not prosperity but a cross. God's touch brought Jacob a limp, interfering with him relying on his own strength exclusively. Persistence pays off. According to singer and actor Will Smith, everything his father did, he did for a reason. Smith recalls, Once Dad wanted my brother Harry and me to repair a 16 by 14 foot wall in front of his business. We had to dig a six foot long trench and rebuild the structure. It took six months. Years later, Dad explained why he'd given us that task. When a kid's growing up, he said, he needs to see something that looks impossible to do and then go out and do it. There are always going to be walls in life. My father helped us get over one wall so we would never be scared to take the first step and try to do the impossible. Will Smith's dad was teaching them persistence. Uh, Section uh, perception. The incident of Jacob wrestling closes with dawn breaking and the angel disappearing, presumably because it could be fatal had Jacob had a clearer look at the face of his opponent. Even though the darkness hides his mentor slash trainer, A new insight begins to dawn in Jacob as he realizes God is with him and will protect through the upcoming scary meeting with his brother and the small entourage of warriors. Genesis uh, 32, uh, 29-31, sorry. Jacob said, please tell me your name. He replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Peniel means face of God. Jacob had been privy to seeing God, or at least the angel, his messenger, in person, face to face, yet he was not vaporized or neutralized on the spot. Jacob had seen the stairway reaching to heaven at Bethel and heard the Lord's unconditional promise to be with him and bring him back in Genesis 28. Jacob had seen the angels meet him after leaving Laban, hence the place named Mahanaim, or two camps. Jacob had wrestled with the angel hands-on and held on to receive a blessing. Jacob's perception was shifting to include God as part of the picture. In fact, the focus around which everything else was secondary. He now walked with a limp no longer so strong in his own right, his 97 years catching up with him. He was ready to let God be God in his life. This was accompanied by a sense of wonder at God's power and grace. I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He felt totally unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness God had shown him, verse 10. Can, leave we, can we leave here with that same perception today, awed by God's goodness and grace? 
amazed that Jesus would come to earth for us, preach good news, cast out evil, suffer and die for our sins, and be raised to give us hope of life with him forever. Isn't it absolutely wonderful? In all this, we see a humbling happening to Jacob. He shifts from being grabby to being grabbed by God, holding on to the Lord. We likewise, as recipients of Christ's grace, ought not to be throwing our weight around like this world's rulers, but humbly serving others as the Lord may lead. Corey Tenboom was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. She replied, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, Do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? She continued, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for working in Jacob's life through the fleeing and shepherding and fears and struggles to the place where he found he could trust in you. Help us not to let go of you when trials come and life hurts or threatens. We want most of all to know your blessing, to be your vessels of grace to others, whether we be striding along or limping step by step in the power and comfort of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.